everybody doing this morning? Great to see you all here today. So Father, we thank you that we could gather this morning, that we could come boldly before your throne, and as your word says, that we come boldly before your throne and we can obtain grace and help in our time of need. So we thank you, Father, we've already found ourselves in the middle of your grace. And you are more than willing and able to take hold with us and help us in whatever ways we need. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you always know what we need better than we know. We thank you that you know all the ins and outs of what's inside of us and what's ahead of us. And we just trust that you lead us and guide us into all truth. You show us things to come. You bring things to our remembrance and you lead us in your paths of peace. And so we thank you for that. If you believe that, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to try and wrap up our series that we've been doing for the last month, and we did a bit of it in September, and that is our series on the heart, and it really, there's so much that we could talk about that's not going to get covered in this series, just because, as I told you before, it's like there's like 900 and something references to the heart in the Bible, so if we went over them all and looked at all the aspects, we'd be here forever, and I believe we've got some great things to move on to in this holiday season, but the contents of your heart are important, and why? We've been answering the question why for the last six weeks, but if we think about it from the context of, remember the story of the prophet Samuel, and that Saul had fallen out of, God said, you know, I've rejected you as king, and said, Samuel, I need you to go and anoint a new king, And so Samuel went to the household of Jesse, and as he called the feast for them all to come in so that he could meet the son of Jesse, the oldest son came in, and it said that he was tall, he was handsome, and Samuel said within himself, he's like, if I were to pick out a king, that would be what a king looks like. But it's important what God said back to Samuel. He said, the Lord does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he was looking for something different in the next king. He had already chosen Saul, who was head and shoulders above all the people of Israel. He looked like what a king should look like. But it's more important what's inside a heart. And it said that David was a man after God's own heart. And so the contents of our heart are always more important than what you look like on the outside. And history is filled with examples of people, if you took them on face value from the outside, you'd say that they're never going to accomplish anything. They're not going to get anything done. And God was able to use them mightily in spite of that. So when you look at the mirror in the morning and you kind of go, don't worry, God can still use you. And so when we talk about the heart, we're going to do a little bit of review because it's been six weeks, so we need to wrap everything up and try and put a little bow on it, and we'll put it like a present under the, under the tree. If we talk about the heart, in the New Testament, when we use the word heart, it's the word, Greek word cardia, and it means the soul as it is the fountain and in the seat of our thoughts and our passions, our desires, our appetites, our purposes, and our endeavors. And as I told you, the, one of the most important words that you see in there is that as it is the fountain, because it describes what happens to the contents of your heart. They spring forth onto everything around you, whether they are good contents or whether they are bad contents. 
And you know, we talked about that we know how to recognize this in application. When we see people on sports teams that, you know, just giving it, they're all, they say, oh man, he really played with all his heart. And it's not that the other people out there weren't playing with heart, we just didn't think the heart they were playing with was worthy of praise, right? You know, when we get into situations and we're having conversations and someone says, let's just get down to the heart of the matter. What are they saying? What do you really want to get out of this? What do you see as most important? And so, you know, when we get to the heart of a matter, it's the same way when we get to the heart of a person. What are the things that you've put inside of yourself that you've decided are the most important things by virtue of what you've given your attention to and what you've given your time to? That shows what you value and that shows what's important to you. And, you know, we can look throughout history and there's all kinds of people that said things were important to them, but when we look at their actions, we know they weren't. And so we don't judge people on face value. We look at the contents of their life and where they spend their time and what they value and their heart is on display. To sum up that definition that I just gave you, we can say that the heart is our operating programming or parameters. You will not operate outside of how you've allowed yourself to be programmed. And when we say programming, it can be how you've allowed others to program you, but the most important person should be at the keyboard of your life programming your responses is you. Do not give someone else that power over you. Take control because you are the captain of your own destiny. And so the core scripture that we've been using for these, the, throughout this series is Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart. Not your neighbor's heart. Not your spouse's heart. Not the person down the street's heart. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring, that's that idea of fountain again, spring the if life. And so we've talked about when it says keep your heart with all diligence, you could break it down and say guard your heart with all the guarding that you can guard. Meaning take a proactive stance and put your foot down and say this is what I'm doing. The word keep there can also mean to tend. And if we look at it as a garden, gardens take work. Gardens take intention. If you want to grow something good in your garden, you got to work a bit with the soil. You got to move some things around and you got to act intentionally with them. So keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And we said that our hearts can be either open or hardened to many things. Just because we're hardened in one area doesn't mean we're hardened in all areas. There are some things that we are very open to and we love, and then other things we're like, mm, no, I don't want to. And that's fine. There should be things that you harden your heart to. There are things that you have no business allowing become part of your core programming. You need to harden yourself against it. You know, I was reading a story about uh, Smith Wigglesworth a, a couple months ago, and the author was pointing out how everyone considered Smith to be such a cold and callous person. And they looked at him as being like hard on the outside, but he went on to say, he's like, what he had done is he hardened himself to anything that wasn't what God had said about the situation. And we wonder why he saw so many miracles. He took the things of the world and said, I want nothing to do with them. And he hardened himself against it, and he opened his heart to only the things of God, even if it didn't make sense to him in that moment. And we're talking about a guy who, when his wife died, he walked into the room because he was out of town, and he came and he saw her in there, and he picked her up, and he threw her up against the wall and said, live! 
Now, that's a little bit crazy when you think about it on the outside, but he was determined that, no, this does not end in death. I'm going to go ahead and speak life because the words of the Lord are life and health to all our flesh. And so our hearts can be open or they can be hardened. And what you consider or what you focus on, you will become sensitive to. You want to grow certain aspects in your life, put some focus on them. They may not be the great things to focus on, but they may, they'll grow. It's kind of like when you're being taught to drive a car, they say, look to where you're going and not over here. Because if you start focusing out here, eventually the car just starts to drift off and you end up over there in the field. And vice versa, if you, what you consider you'll become sensitive to, what you neglect you'll become hardened to. And we can see this, you know, people who have had habits in the past of, say, spending lots of time in the gym or whatever, it, once they get out of there for a while, the longer you've been out, the harder it is to take that first step back. The harder, longer you've been away from the things of God, it almost seems like an insurmountable gap sometimes to jump back over. But it doesn't matter how far you move, he hasn't changed locations. He's right there with you. And all it takes is one turn and say, okay, God, I haven't been focusing on you like I should, but I'm going to change that right now. And the more you neglect things, you become hardened to them. And we saw that reflected in the lives of the disciples in the book of Mark. And we went through several different stories where Jesus had an expectation of his disciples that he demonstrated things before them, and then he believed that they could go ahead and do the same things. We saw that in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. In the first one, Jesus said, I'm moved with compassion. Let's feed these people. The second time he said, you feed them, and the disciples went, uh, uh, we don't have the money to do this. What, what, what in the first example had anything to do with money? Jesus just said, what do you have? And so Jesus fixed the situation again. He said, what do you guys got? And they just multiplied until there was enough. We see it reflected in Jesus out on the water. There was a storm came up. Jesus got up and said, peace be still. Next time that situation came up, Jesus was walking right by the boat because he expected that his disciples could do the same thing. He has the same expectation of you. You realize that? When you see it in your word, he believes in you. He believes that the authority and the power that he's invested in you by the power of the Holy Spirit will do the same thing in you that it did in him. And so he constantly said through the book of Mark, when they said, why can't we do this? He said, it's because of the hardness of your heart. And he said that the leading reason of hardness of heart was unbelief. Unbelief is the leading contaminant of a hardened heart. But that's a good thing to know. You want to know why? Because unbelief is curable. Feed your faith and starve your doubts and unbelief exit stage right. So that's where we've been, and for the last two weeks, we've been talking about how the words we speak shape our heart and program our responses. And that's whether they're good words or whether they're bad words, that's what's happening. If you want to see where you're going, listen to what you're talking about. Listen to where your focus is. As James told us, he said, like, our tongue is just like that bit we put in a horse's mouth. Wherever you turn it, it goes. He said, the tongue is like that little rudder on a ship. Wherever you turn the wheel, the ship goes. And then he said, look at how much of a forest something a little fire can burn down. 
There is a lot of power in your mouth, and our words are charting our course. Okay, that's where we've been. Now we've got a few things that we need to cover before we wrap up this series. So let's go back to our core verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, if you're following in your Bibles this morning. Proverbs 4. And it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of of life. Now, we have not talked about that word at all for issues. What does he mean when it says it springs the issues of life? Well, the Hebrew word that's used here, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it because it's a weird one, means the boundaries and the borders. So he says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the boundaries and the borders of your life. Think about that for a second. If your life is feeling a little small, what boundaries have you been giving yourself? What borders have you been putting into your life? See, there's a lot of wheels thinking about that for a second. But when we look at our lives, we often feel like situations or others around us are trying to contain us. But do you realize they don't set the borders of your life? That you set the borders of your life. You set the boundaries of your life. If you don't like the space in which you live within, maybe you should do something about the borders that you maintain. Whether they're small, whether they're filled with space to move and to grow and to increase. And that same word bears with it the idea that it is a source of life, that your heart is a source of life within you. You don't need your employer to be your source of life. You don't need your family to be your source of life. Your heart is your source of life. And if you don't like what your source of life is putting into your life, you've got to change the contents within it. Because it is the boundaries, it is the borders, and it is the source of life. I like how the Hebrew lexicon lays out this word. It says that it is the fountain of life or of happiness. And if we think of the movies that, and the books that have been written about someone looking for the fountain of life so that they can increase their days or, or heal something that's incurable, you want to know where the fountain of life is? Your fountain of life is in you. If you're needing a source of life, look to your heart and fill it with the things of God and it will begin to spring life to those things you come in contact with. It begins to speak life to those dead situations that you've been finding yourself within. You don't have to look for a source of life. You've already got the source of life in Jesus on the inside of you. He said he would make his home inside of you, that he would never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to look for a fountain of life. You don't have to look for a source of life you've already got it within you amen? amen and so it is the fountain of life and of happiness but it's also the place of exit or termination of anything there are some things that happen in our lives that we need to terminate and we need to have them exit stage right how do you do that you weed them out in your heart place of exit or termination of anything some people's hearts 
are where dreams go to die. And that should not be the case. When we speak life into our situations, when the Word of God is revealed and opened before us, when we see what He's spoken to us in His Word, it should be like, oh, let's let it grow. And so how do we guard our heart? If we're to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life, well, the next three verses tell us exactly how it did. One, watch your mouth. He says, put away perverse lips and deceitful mouth from you. He says, watch your mouth. And then he says, watch where you're going. If you don't like where you're going, guess what? Your feet are attached to your body, right? Right? If you don't like the direction, we have a thing that can go like this. And change. Number three, he said, choose your path. Don't let your path be chosen for you. That's no one else's responsibility but yours. And keep moving forward, course correct as necessary. Okay, so when we hit this point, we say, words, 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 what words, Pastor Jordan? You're talking about words and, you know, direction. Well, it's best to keep everything in its own context, right? Let the Word of God do the speaking for us. Well, three verses before this, we, the, this th thought process starts. And here's where Solomon started in verse 20. He said, my son, give attention to, everyone say this, my words. So what words should you be focused on? What words should you be planting in your heart? His words. He says, incline your ear to my sayings. And so if we're going to talk about what words should we be speaking, they should probably line up with what he thinks about you, what he believes about you. Because there's no greater words than you can be speaking than words that come straight from the mouth of God, right? Because his words are life. It's his, his words are the ones that spoke everything that we see into existence. It was his mouth that said, let there be light, and there was. And so everything we see was spoken into existence by God, which means that when he speaks, things happen. And so there's no greater words to be putting on your mouth than his. So he says, my son, give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your what? Your heart. Feed your heart my words, and my sayings. Now, why, why would that be important, Pastor Jordan? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question, guys. You're right on the ball with me this morning. Thanks, Toph. I know, I'm glad I could read your thoughts on it. Why do we want them not to depart from our eyes? Why do we want to keep them in the midst of your heart? Because they're life to those who find them, and they are health to all their flesh. There's nothing else in this word, world like the Word of God. Amen. There's nothing else in this world that can heal your body when medical science is given up. There's nothing else that can speak life when everyone else is saying, there's nowhere to go, there's no way out. Nothing else can do that for you but the Word of God. Amen. They are life to those who find them and they are health to all their flesh. You know, about a year ago, I was listening to a podcast with a really uh, an elderly minister who had been in the ministry for a long time and traveled with a lot of famous people, and he was 
talking about how about a year prior to that, he had been feeling some things in his body, and he, he went to the doctor, and they said, well, we hate to tell you this, but you have terminal cancer, and you'll be dead within the next nine months. And uh, he said it hit him pretty hard when he got that report from the doctor, and he went home, and he, he was sitting with his wife, and uh, they, he's like, they told me, you know, I can go and do chemo, and it may give me another month or two, but, you know, it's going to you know, not be a good ride. It's going to be a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. He asked his wife, he said, what do you think about if we just skip all that and I take the next nine months and preach like I've never preached before, travel like I've never traveled before, spend my final days, if I've only got nine months to live, why don't I go and spread hope to people? Why don't I go and spread love together? And at that point, he had been retired for several years. And so he came out of retirement, went out on the road and rode and traveled like he'd never traveled before. And at the time of that podcast, it had been a year past the time that he was supposed to die. And at this point, it's been a year since I listened to that, he's still not dead. <laughs> and it's not like he did anything special. He just decided, I'm going to spend my days feeding the word of God to others. But in order to feed others with the Word of God, what did he have to do first? He had to feed himself. And they are life to those who find them, and they are health to all their flesh. Nothing special about him. He was actually Billy Graham's best friend. At the <laughs> I think he had a good example to follow after. They are life to those who find them, and health to their flesh. Something I want to leave with you this morning is there is no, there are no silent miracles in the Bible. What do I mean by that? Every miraculous thing you see in the Bible had a chain of events. God spoke something. Someone agreed. Someone did something, and a miracle happened. We look through the Old Testament, we could use the, the Red Sea. The people are freaking out with the sea in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them. They're going, oh, we should have died in Egypt. And God said through Moses, stand still. So what did they do? They stopped moving. And then he said to Moses, stretch forth your rod out of the water and move forward. That miracle doesn't happen if they don't stop. That miracle doesn't happen if Moses doesn't stretch forth the rod. That miracle doesn't happen if they don't move forward. And every miracle in the Bible is the same way. Something was said of Jesus, something was believed of him, and people moved forward with it. We can look at the, a great example of when uh, the Syrian general came before the prophet and he said, go down to the river and dunk seven times in it. And he got all upset and he started heading home. He's like, there are cleaner rivers where I come from. I don't want to get in that dirty river and dunk. No miracle was happening. And then his servant said, if he asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? And he corrected his heart quick. And he went and dunked in the river, and he was healed. Every miracle has a chain of events that starts with God's word. Something that has grabbed hold from him and then said, well, if that's the case, 
I might as well get to moving with it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. What have we said? The things that you neglect, you become hardened to. So here, the writer of Hebrews says, we must listen carefully to the truth we've heard. How do you listen carefully to something you've already heard? You continue it within you. You bring it back before your eyes. You don't let it be a one-time event. You let it become a sustaining force within your life by starting your day with it, doing it in the middle if you have to, doing it at the end, but whatever you have to do, you bring it back before your eyes and he says in verse 2 for the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedient was punished and he's talking about under the Old Testament covenant there you know you did what the covenant said or you suffered from it we don't live under that old covenant but it says in verse 3 so what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore the great this great salvation What makes us think that our results will be different if we take God's word and say, "Eh, you know, it's not really important that day, and ignore the great salvation that has laid out before us? What is that great salvation? He said that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Colossians 2.6 says, as you have begun in Christ Jesus, so continue in. So believe in your heart on a daily basis and let God save you in your day-to-day situations. It's not just about going to heaven that's going to be awesome but he said when he prayed father i want it as in heaven i want it here on earth too and verse four says and god confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the holy spirit whenever he chose god confirmed his message he confirmed the word what does that mean he backed it up when they chose to apply it Mark 16, 20 says that Jesus sent them out. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it says afterwards, it says the disciples went everywhere and they preached and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So think about this. The word of God is just as powerful on your lips as it is in his. They took what he had taught them and what he had told them to do. They went out and they told others and he backed it up. And that's why when Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, it's important what you put in your heart. In Romans 4, 17, where Abraham believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Meaning, there's going to be times when you're looking at the situation and it looks hopeless, go ahead and speak life anyways. There's going to come a time where it's like there exists no possibility of this situation turning around for good, go ahead and speak life to it anyways. As I asked you last week, what will be your, in one year from now, what will be your who would have said moment? When you're looking back at your year that you're about to have, when you get to the end, what are you going to say? Nobody would have thought this is where I would have been. But when you ask that question, who would have said? I hope the answer is, I would have said, and I did say, and I chose to keep saying, and I chose to let my words align with his words. 
And so God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Now that's interesting when it says whenever he chose because a lot of uh, religious people, they believe that, you know, sometimes you just never know what God's going to do. Like sometimes he will and sometimes he won't. Well, let's take a look at that for a second. If we look at that in the New King James, it says that he did it according to his own will. What is his will? His word is his will. It's his last will and testament to you, his kids. You want to find out what God is willing to do and what he wants to back up? It's right here in his word. It's his will. Now, that, it's interesting that that word for will also means pleasure. And when you sit down to write your will, you choose to give to whoever you please. Right? No one sits down and tells you who you have to give to, you do it according to your own pleasure. So we can interpret that as God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of this Holy Spirit according to his own pleasure, meaning he was happy to do it, he wanted to do it, so he did it and he told you about it in his word. And maybe he is happier to be working on your behalf than you are to be walking in it. Should I say that again? Maybe he is happier to be working on your behalf than you are to be walking in it. Maybe he's more has pleasure in wanting to do more for you than your heart is setting boundaries and borders too small. So, no silent miracles. Let's watch this played out. Let's go over to Mark chapter 5. You guys doing this good well this morning? We're going to come in for a landing in just a moment. In Mark chapter 5, verse 25 says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, and she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This is one of those situations where it does not seem like there's any way she's coming out of this, right? It's been 12 years, she spent all her resources, has nothing left, this is a no-win situation, right? It said when she heard about Jesus. My son, pay attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment, for she said, who's she talking to here? She's talking to herself. And sometimes we need to do less talking to others and more talking to ourselves, establishing the path that I plan on walking, and I don't care if you want to stand in my way, I'm going to walk this path, so you better move, because I'm coming through anyways. She said to herself, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So I have to ask the question, who initiated this miracle? She did. And how do we know that? Because in the next verse says immediately, Jesus knowing in himself that power had gone out, he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? He didn't know what the source of the power drain was, but he knew that power had gone out. Meaning it didn't start with him, but he was happy to let it happen. 
And his disciples said, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth, saying, daughter, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. If her faith made her well, what will your faith do for you? There are no silent miracles in the Bible. And God is still speaking every day through his word. He's still speaking every day through his Holy Spirit. What word will you grab hold of and say, you know, I'm just crazy enough to believe you, God. Let's walk this out. There are no silent miracles in the Bible. So if you're waiting for God to do something, stop waiting and move with him. We need another example because it says that every, in the Bible that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses should everything be established. So if this happened for the woman with the issue of blood, do we see this with anybody else? Matthew 15. It says, And Jesus went out from there and he departed into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her, not a word. He just shut his mouth. So he didn't start the talk conversation, right? He stayed silent. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. So she's not only has she started the conversation, she's being annoying about it in the eyes of the disciples. It didn't annoy God. Don't, don't be moved by what other people think about your confessions of faith. They're your confessions, not theirs. And so she's crying out behind them, and they're saying, Lord, please make her stop. I don't want to listen to this all day. And so he answered and said, I, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that was true. At this point, he had come to his countrymen. He had come to the Jews to offer it to them first. And then at the cross, he brought the whole world into it. And she came and worshipped and said, Lord, help me. And he answered and he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So he didn't have something good to say to her in this moment. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Who started that miracle chain? She did. So if you're waiting on God, stop waiting on Him and start moving with Him. There are no silent miracles in the Bible. Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, For assuredly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his where? Heart. But believes that those things which he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. And so here we see what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. What's in your heart's important because it will determine what you believe. And what you believe will determine what you speak. And what you speak is releasing your faith and changing your life for either the good or for the worse. And so he says, therefore I say to you, whatever you ask, 
Not whatever he asks, whatever you ask when you pray, believe, you receive them, and you will have them. So Jesus tells his disciples to speak to the mountain. Well, what if it's not his will to move the mountain? Well, then he shouldn't have told you to speak to it. If mountains only move when God is in the mood, then he shouldn't have spoken with such certainty. Or maybe God is always in the mood to back up his word. And so Solomon couldn't be any more correct than when he said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. It impacts everything you touch, therefore tend it with care. Maybe you're watching us this morning and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. And you know, there's no greater day to start than right now. And we would love to pray with you and have you step into the kingdom this morning. Right, church? Let's pray with them. Say, Father, Father I, ask for Jesus, I ask for Jesus, and I receive him now. I call him my Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And this day I choose to receive. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen you prayed that prayer with us this morning we would love for you to get in contact with us we would love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area and get some resources into your hands and if you're in the smith falls area we say welcome home we would love to walk this journey with you but guys what's in your heart ends up in your life so take care what you put in take care what you let out and watch your life shift as you agree with him. Amen? Pastor Robin. Praise God. It is offering time. Hallelujah. You know, let, let me give you 40 years of experience of sowing seed into the kingdom of God. If you put your faith in the seed that you sow, then you will receive harvest with thanksgiving. You put your faith in the seed that you sow. Every farmer that plants a seed, uh, whether it be garden, whether you're just doing a garden, whether you're doing a soya bean, whether you're doing a vineyard, but whatever you're sowing, you wouldn't have put that seed in the ground if you didn't have faith that it's going to produce. Amen? You look, at, you look at the seed you sow financially into the kingdom of God the same way. And then you start thanking God for the harvest. It's Thanksgiving. We, you know, um, harvest time is always a time of Thanksgiving. We have a holiday named Thanksgiving. Amen? And there's a reason for that. Because somebody sowed something and they received a harvest. Amen? And so that's what we're doing today. Let, let's say this together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, thank you for harvest. We receive it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. And so you can give digitally, as you saw on there, um, wordchurch.ca backwards slash give. 
and where you just drop something in the basket at the back as you leave today. Amen? Amen. You are blessed. Thank you.